Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Rob Ronan, co-founder of Material Good, a retailer specializing in fine jewelry and rare timepieces that opened in New York City's Soho neighborhood in 2015. Earlier this month, Material Good opened its second location in Miami with the same approach of offering a luxury experience versus a point of sale. I wanted to ask Rob about the business impact of luxury jewelry's recent evolution as lab-grown diamonds become popular and the resale watch industry fluctuates. I also wanted to ask how the company is striking a balance between attracting high-spend customers while still offering them the intimate, private experience they demand. Welcome, Rob. Thank you very much, Jill. Thanks for being here. Let's talk about the company. Let's talk about what's happening in Soho. What opened in 2015? That this was the main idea for the company, yeah. Um, yes, it, it was. Um, and funny enough, uh, 2015 was sort of just the the leaping off point for us. However, we, my my business partner and I, uh, Michael Herman and I, have to go back to the early 2000s because material good was sort of the end result of a lot of different things that came to pass, starting way back in 2001. Um, so if that's okay, just to give you a little bit of background yes, on that. Yes, let's circle back. Because the, the only way to understand where this came from and, and where the ideas came from and, and sort of the whole culture was years and years of experience in, in our respective fields. So uh, back in, in the early 2000s, 2000, basically 2000, 2001, I was in finance. My business partner, Michael Herman, was in telecom, and we both left those respective industries for different reasons. Um, what was it wasn't our cup of tea, as they say. And uh, by chance, I ended up starting uh, work at a large diamond manufacturer. At that time, they were they were pretty global. Uh, and just because I knew someone in the business that said, "Hey, you know." You're, you're a pretty good sales guy. Why don't you come and sell diamonds? And at that point, I was looking for anything. I, I was fresh out of college, 21, uh, almost 22 years old. And I started working at that company. And of course, as, as life has it by chance, Michael started one week later. And um, we we became pretty pretty good friends pretty quickly. And for the next year, we both spent time sort of cutting our teeth, learning the diamond business. Um, and of course, spending time, enjoying New York City, becoming really, really good friends. Uh, through the diamond business, uh, I was introduced to a gentleman who is still my mentor, uh, Francois Benamias. Francois, at that time, was the U.S. president for Audemars Piguet. Uh, he and I hit it off and he said to me, you know, are, are you interested in staying in diamonds or are you looking to baby grow? And of course, at that time, uh, diamonds wasn't really something I felt an insane passion for. And I thought it would be interesting to learn something uh, more branded. I love the idea of super high-end, ultra-luxury timepieces. Uh, again, I didn't know much about it outside of it was more expensive than Rolex. Because, you know, like I said, you know, being in my early 20s, I wasn't uh, as comfortable or understood with, with that whole high-end watchmaking world. So I took the leap and, and went to work for Audemars Piguet as, as the East Coast sales rep. My business partner, who wasn't my business partner at the time, he was just a good friend, Michael, he stayed in the diamond business. And we sort of had an idea that, you know, why don't you stay in, in diamonds? I'll learn watches and we'll see how we can sort of take this through. Fast forward 10 years later, at that point now, I'm still working at Audemars Piguet. 
uh, Michael has opened his own private jewelry office as a, as a private jeweler working with private clients. And, you know, we would sort of help each other, you know, when, when he needed things in the watch world, I would make introductions to him for his clients through all the retailers I knew. And at the same time, when I need anyone who needed something in the diamond work, I would send them to Michael. So even well before we were quote unquote business partners, we were best friends who were just helping each other out over, you know, a, a duration of time. Uh, I had mastered the watch side. He had continued to grow the private jewelry side. And at that time, uh, after about 10 years, I, I had achieved, I was then the pretty much U.S. sales director for, for retail and wholesale. And, uh, and Michael had grown a pretty impressive client list. And I felt at that point, it was sort of my, my who moved my cheese moment where I sort of needed to make a change. And I decided at that time to, to leave Audemars Piguet. Uh, it was a little unexpected for me. And I decided I would go work with, with Michael. And at the very beginning of it, you know, I had sort of felt like there was more that we could do together. He was in Midtown selling to clients and the whole impetus, I guess, where we start with material good is over those 10 years where I was working at Audemars Piguet, there was one thing that was sort of resoundingly clear. And that was that the current retail experience that was being offered was just really subpar. I could use a lot of expletives and, and talk a little more crass, but it was, uh, it was not. <laughs> I would like that. Yeah, it was, it was a real <laughs> shitty experience. Um, so yeah. I, I would go to different retailers all around the country that were carrying uh, Audemars Piguet products, uh, obviously the high-end timepieces. And I just noticed that it was really all about product and price. A client would walk into a store, it would, they would ask for a specific product, or they would ask to be shown different price point products. Then they would haggle and negotiate over price because that was still a time where discounts were prevalent in the watch world. Um, obviously, those things for the ultra high-end brands are a thing of the past, but it really was non-experiential. And I thought it's amazing the amount of business that's being done and the amount of dollars that are being achieved where the client really walks out just with a product, not an experience. And I, I just always felt that everything from the knowledge, the education, the way that the, the salespeople or, or managers or owners would treat the client, it just was a, a strong disconnect. So when I went to work with Mike, um, I just felt like there would be something we could do better. And at that time, downtown New York City, there was nobody. Um, and, you know, being that Mike and I both lived downtown, I think at that time I was actually I was in Soho and he was uh, he was in Tribeca. And I said, you know, with, our, with my relationship, why, why don't we ask, starting with AP, what they would think about opening a, a point of sale downtown in Manhattan? And when I went to, to Francois and Audemars Piguet, they said, okay, well, downtown, sure. We, we, you know, everything's uptown on Madison Avenue. But I, I kind of started to tell them that it's two different cities and there's a lot of money downtown and more people are moving there. I think Tribeca had just become the wealthiest zip code in New York City at the time. And they said, sure, okay, well, come back to us when you have more, more information on it. A little sort of like, you know, prove it to us. Let's see. Yes. And uh, we, we started looking for a space and we found a space. The first one we actually found fell through. <laughs> and then we found another space, which was much bigger, which is our current home now for Material Good. And the big thing about that was it was second floor. At no point did we... I was going to ask yeah. because it is souped up. I'm like, is there security? What are you doing yeah, here? Yeah, no. And, and what's funny is at that time, 
it was unheard of for, for ultra high-end luxury jewelry and watches to be sold second floor. At that time, actually, there was a, a real negative sort of, uh, a real negative stigma attached to it. They thought second floor, you're not real retail. What are you doing? Are you just, you know, uh, gray marketing watches? Are you a shipping center? Like, what, what is it? How are you going to attract clients? And the whole start with my conversations was, how can you really do true experiential luxury on the ground floor? Because when you're on the ground floor, you know, anyone can walk in, salespeople get beat down, you're constantly dealing with just tire kickers and stuff like that, where if you really had a good word of mouth business where you, and remember Mike and I had been in the city for so long and we already knew we had a pretty good network of people, you could really do something better when you remove yourself from ground floor and go upstairs. A, it makes that, that stairwell or that elevator, here we have an elevator, the greatest vetting process you can have. Because you know, if someone's walking in your doors, they're coming in for a reason and they know what you're doing. You know, they, they know something about you. Not to mention rents are usually a lot cheaper when you go to the second floor yes. versus ground floor. So oh, a little, little icing right. on the cake. Um, and when we found this new space, which was, which was a lot bigger than we thought it would be at the time, we had no idea what we, what we were expecting with material good. We, we signed the lease and we still didn't have Audemars Piguet locked in with us. We, we knew we would do jewelry. We knew we had an idea that maybe we would do leather goods. Um, we knew we would probably do pre-owned timepieces, which weren't nearly as, as dramatically strong as they are now. But we knew we needed to have our anchor brand. So we went to Audemars Piguet. We kind of explained our idea. And after some real pushing and some real convincing, you know, Francois really saw the vision and saw the idea. And he, he signed on with us. And through that relationship, we, we then were lucky enough to approach Richard Meal. They, they, they in tune also, you know, saw the vision and they joined with us also. And with that really became the starting point of Material Good, a place where with our anchor two brands, our two big partners, Richard Meal and Audemars Piguet, we would offer the, the best of experience for showcasing those two brands, as well as beautiful custom jewelry, our, which now has grown into our own branded jewelry, which is our biggest part of our, our jewelry business. Um, which was Michael's specialty, custom diamond jewelry, uh, and, uh, and and doing that. And leather goods sort of fell into play by chance. And that's also become a really interesting, fun part of our business. So that's where material goods started from. Sorry for the long-winded response, but you kind of have to get the whole picture uh, of our relationship, uh, how we got our brands and, and where it came from for the, for the idea, which was really seeing, yeah. not reinventing the wheel, but just giving the client a much better looking more fun wheel. Yes. Well, I gotta no. I haven't been. I haven't visited myself. Oh, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm picture. done. I'm done. Uh, I'm out. No. Come on. Invite me. Invite me over. Oh, please. <laughs> um, We'd be honored. That, that elevator. It's it's so intimidating. I'm just kidding. I haven't seen it, but I need to get there. Um, you have rare artwork. You have uh, there. There are Birkin bags. There are. It's a lounge. Tell me. Paint the picture. What's the experience here? So 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 basically, you know when. Uh, what I had mentioned before is going to a, a jewelry store. What I always found was they were miserable for men and watch stores were miserable for women and showcases everywhere. It, the whole concept of retail is as I saw it to be offense and defense. Someone's got to be presenting you something. You have to feel defensive the whole time. You're separated by large pieces of glass with expensive pieces of product. There was no connection. And so I said, where, where do you find the greatest connection? When you're in your home, 
when you're entertaining friends, when you're inviting guests into your home, where you can really provide them the first thing where, where they don't feel like they're being sold, where it's really, the only way you can create what I thought at that time a real experience was letting people have their guard down, let them be relaxed, let them be comfortable. So when we decided how we would design material good, it's, it's funny, just, just, to, just to, to shift gears for a second, one of the greatest things that happened when we first opened, people would walk in and they would be looking around and they'd be kind of awestruck and they wouldn't, they wouldn't even know what they were looking at. They would come in, they'd be like, is this a jewelry store? Is this watches? Who, who do we talk? And, and we don't attack clients. We, we, we let people come in, we, we, we offer them a drink, water, coffee, whatever, whatever they like, and, and, and we let them kind of explore the space. When you look at material good through the center of the space, there are no showcases. Everything is on the exterior walls and it's all integrated like you would your home, your library, your, your, your living room, your family room, uh, a formal sitting area. We have a, a, the, the, the anchor of the middle of the space is a, a 15 person dining room table. So with that being said, all those spaces will and can be used for selling. However, they're there to give you the, the comfort and warmth of, of someone's apartment or home. My, uh, Material Goods Soho was very much designed like a Soho loft. And it feels that, it breathes that, it's aged that way. Obviously, Miami, we did it much different, much more in the vein of your Miami ocean, sun, light, color, and fun. But, but when you come into Material Goods Soho, it's supposed to evoke that Soho loft feel. We have crazy high ceilings. We have exposed HVAC systems, but it's all done in a very cohesive, luxurious way where you can come in and explore our products in a way that makes you feel like you're not being sold. You're there to just experience it. I always said sales should be secondary. Let someone experience the space, and if they like it, they'll come back. Yes. Is it marked outside, even though it's on the second floor? And how else are people finding out about it? I'm sure there's a lot of word of mouth sure. happening. Um, so we have very, very minimal signage, um, and we always wanted it that way. We wanted to not be almost like speakeasy where you had to just kind of secretly find it. We have a beautiful um, brass plaque that's outside the door, which only if you're at the door outside in the street on, on Wooster, where we're, where we're at 120 Wooster, that you actually, you know, you have to know to get there. You're not gonna stumble upon it. Um, but once you're there, obviously you enter a small little lobby, you come up the elevator, and then you you find uh, where we are. And, and in terms of clienteling and how we go about it, you know, as, as it, it, Mike and I worked together for 10 years in our respective industries, him in jewelry, me in watches. So living in New York City, breathing and spending time, eating, drinking, having fun, growing a business with friends and people we, we cared about, because we really treat our clients like family and friends. We knew we had something where if we, you know, the adage, if you build it, they will come, little filled of dreams uh, yeah. throwback, is we knew <laughs> if we built a space where people could could really experience our products and, and the overall way that we host you, then we knew that word of mouth would be would be pretty easy. And I would say the greatest thing that I've experienced in my professional career was seeing how much people really craved this sort of thing without even knowing it. And when they first started coming here, what we kept hearing was, oh my God, your second floor, we never would have expected this. We've never experienced anything like this. We love it. And then you know what? The next day they would come back with their friends, with their family members, with their with their with their colleagues, and that has really always been the way we've grown. Now, of course, with that growth and and knowing that we're 
we were carrying at that time on our began to share meal, that helped also because it gave us a lot of legitimacy to people who didn't know who we were prior with, with previous relationships or any sort of sales relationship. And that was why, you know, we knew that having those two brands who have been our greatest partners throughout all of this would be the most important part to start. And then for us then to carry out being the best partners we could to those two anchor brands of ours. Let's talk about your background, which I didn't even realize that it was, it was at a, well, I'll say AP, so <laughs> I don't have to pronounce it, but um, I didn't know it was at AP, but also we had um, someone from the company Bezel on, on a podcast recently, and he was talking about a, the experience shopping IRL at AP and the, um, basically the, uh, he almost like a club. He was talking about like when you buy a watch, they pop, pop champagne and all of this. I was like, had I known I'd be buying more watches. That sounds amazing. Um, but yes, tell me about how, I guess the difference and how your experience at AP maybe informed this approach. Your approach, it's multi-brand, different. It's not maybe as branded. Maybe it's cooler. I don't know. How would you describe well, it? Well, first of all, Jill, you can come have champagne with us anytime. You don't have to buy a thing. <laughs> like I said, that, that's always, if, if someone's comfortable enough, that, that usually always happens, but there's never a, a reasoning. We like to celebrate what we do here on a regular basis. Um, but no, in, in terms of my experience, working for Audemars Piguet was was probably one of the one of the greatest learning experiences of my life because it taught me all about this crazy world of ultra high end timepieces. You know, I always say like you look at Rolex, like which is you know an amazing brand. Uh, what they've done in global domination is is second to none. I look at that like Mercedes. You know, a Mercedes is a beautiful car. Everyone knows Mercedes. It, it talks luxury. But then if you really get into cars, you realize that there's a whole other world above and beyond. And then you really start dealing with true collectors. And prior to, to COVID, you know, brands like Audemars Piguet, Paddock, Richard Mille, you know, the, the really strong, important brands on the ultra high end, they were really for the real collectors, people with real income and disposable income to be able to spot, to, to really buy these timepieces. And so, you know, what, what we try to do is when you come to our store, there's no branding. We, we talk, live and breathe our, our anchor brands and now all of our pre-owned, which really spans Rolex, Paddock, Audemars Piguet and Richard Mille. Because of those are the brands we believe in and the brands we love. But, you know, when COVID happened, these brands really changed in a lot of ways into something much larger, which were whether you want to call them alternative investments, whether you want to call them things that much more people were accustomed and learning about. Because there, there's very few things for you to invest your money in or put your money in that you can enjoy and wear that doesn't depreciate, that actually in a lot of ways appreciates in value or holds value. So, you know, for us, back to this, the, the idea of material good, we, we, we don't want it to feel like a private club. We, we, we want to be open to everyone. I always say, first and foremost, we are an aspirational store. At the very beginning, I would hear things from people like, oh, I can't afford your stuff. And, and that really got to me because I never, I didn't come from a wealthy background, okay? Michael and I are, are self-made guys. We just happen to fall into the luxury world. And between us, Jill, one of the things I tell our staff that I hated about luxury and jewelry was you'd walk into a jewelry store and the salespeople would treat you like you're below them just because they're the ones selling that ultra high ticket item. I tell my staff all the time, that if I ever catch you guys thinking you're better than the client or just because you're offering something high end, oh, we're going to have a, we're going to have a serious sit down because that's what makes high end luxury, not high end. 
the intimidation factor, the discomfort factor. We wanted to create a space where it was the exact opposite. Whether you were there to potentially look at your first piece of jewelry that we could create for you, no matter what the price point was, or you're looking to buy the multi-million dollar piece of jewelry. I wanted the experience to be the exact same for the aspirational client as it is for the, the very well, well-educated aficionado of all things watches and jewelry. So we, it, was, it was tricky for us to figure out that balance, but we were, were really lucky that because of our experiences, my experiences with Audemars Piguet, Michael's experience of working with private clients in the jewelry world, that we were able to understand, had we just been two guys who wanted to sell watches and jewelry, we would have never created this space. This was really, again, the idea that there was a need in the marketplace and we just thought with our experiences coming together, we could grow it. And, and we've been very lucky that it's it's caught on the way it has. I'm picturing a scene out of Pretty Woman with the shop girl saying, please leave. Big, remember, big, <laughs> big mistake. Big, big mistake. mistake. <laughs> Huge. Um, we're on the same page. But let's talk about who your customer, you do offer things for everyone and anyone, maybe not anyone, but like, anyway, lower, lower tier, but some of your customers are Haley Bieber and John Mayer. And for the most part, are we talking the 1%? Who's your customer? So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, I'm going to answer you honestly, you know, as yes. we offer and we want to always make sure, because again, you're right. You can't be everything to everyone. And we want to make sure that you know, the aspirational client can come in here and grow with us. And we hope that a client that starts with us only grows in their own personal life and their own success in their life. And they, what I want is when you start with us, no matter where you are in life, whether you're in the 1% or whether you're aspirationally wanting to be in a higher percentile, um, that you can grow with us and, and we'll always be there for you. And that's what I want to say when we, when we can be everything to everyone is that once you're our client, we want to be everything to you within our wheelhouse, whether it's, like you said, art, handbags, jewelry, or watches. And, you know, who our client is, is yes, we do have a, a pretty uh, impressive roster of, of celebrity clients, athletes, very prominent business people um, in all walks of life. And what's amazing is they range all sorts of ages, nationalities, uh, you know, genders, everything. It's it's really impressive that the diversity of our clientele. So, you know, do we do we cater to the 1%? Sure. But at no point do we turn our backs on anyone who who is not in the 1%. And that's something that I do believe also has been a tricky thing for the ultra high-end watch and jewelry world to, to understand is we've had clients that started with us. They had just started the business. They had just left a job or a career. They bought, you know, a, a, a $5,000 material good uh, multi-shape ring. And five years later, they're, they're buying something much, much, much larger. And that's really what we focus on is being able to, to grow with our clients and be whatever our clients need us to, to be with them. Um, and so for us, it's, uh, I, I know you want to get a lot more juiciness out of the 1% thing, but you know, we, we try to keep as, as a high end of discretion, but I would say that it's really great when we see clients who have access to everything because our clients and what you're referring to a lot of our clients that are the very, you know, wealthy or very um, influential, they can buy anything that they want, but they keep coming back for a reason, which I do believe is, is because of our amazing staff and the experience we give them the fact that we cater to their needs. And we also know that there's a little bit of a cool factor to what we do. And we know how to curate 
your experience, whether that be in timepieces, vintage, pre-owned, brand new, uh, or more so into jewelry where we're, we're, we're creating things uh, for people. And the last thing I'll say is education. The one thing that we pride ourselves on is educating our client. Because you know whether you've, you've had a lot of experience buying jewelry, there's always more you can learn. And I think that's, that's, that's been one of the big flaws of, of the jewelry world is not educating a client to know how to spend their money the right way. That certain clients want different things. Some really want high color, high clarity. Others want to maximize size. The more we can educate people, that also build, builds a real strong bond with that client. It's the same thing with vintage timepieces. You know, we sell a lot of insane vintage Rolexes. Paul Newman Daytonas, super rare things. That vintage watch world is pretty crazy. There's years and years of history, knowing that if everything's original, knowing how, how to educate people on that, and also building trust because there's a lot of people that get burned pretty bad in, in the jewelry and watch world. And we make sure that that you are trusting and, and that we build brand loyalty in our education, our experience, and making sure that if there ever is anything you need or there is an issue, you can always come right back here, find us, and we will always make it right. Right on. That education aspect, so important, especially for, I guess, collectible items. Somebody, um, the chief brand officer actually at, at Grailed, which is different different industry altogether, was talking about the the, I guess, inserting, the importance of inserting more information and getting it out there. Let's talk about, you mentioned you're a salesperson and you have a knack for it. And I'm jealous. I was like, I think I got fired from my only job trying to sell something. Anyway, <laughs> don't put me on the sales floor. <laughs> um, but let's just say who are, you can't be there all the time. Who are you? Where are you finding associates who can represent the company um, at, at the level that you are used to? I, I love uh, working that. With? That's such a great question. And you know, one of the things that, that I always, so we, you know, when we're looking for new positions as we've expanded and, you know, also, you know, we, we have, Really amazing partnerships. We have, you know, Michael and I are, are partners with Audemars Piguet and Richard Meal in, in multiple boutiques around the country. Whenever I'm interviewing people, whenever I'm, whenever they've gone through the few levels and channels, and then I get the opportunity, if they're at that level where it's something I know, so I'll be working with them. I always say that our most senior people started in much lower level or much more entry level positions. Um, you know, our head of marketing and jewelry, Teresa, who is now really taken on everything that we do in terms of our branding and our image, as well as working with all of our VIP jewelry clients and overseeing our entire jewelry team. She started with us as a walk-in through, through a, an existing client. Someone brought her in and she saw the space and, and she fell in love with the space. And, and she was like, what, what do you guys do here? And we kind of, she, she came back a few times and she had had a, a, a background in hospitality, working just on the client service side. And we said, you know what? We're, we're growing. Maybe we need someone to help us just manage the CRM component, just client cards, putting clients' names when they would come in on a Saturday into our system. And of course, she took a shining to jewelry. We saw how great she was with clients. And step by step, she grew into salesperson, into manager of sales, to now overseeing all of jewelry. Now, because of her amazing ability to also grow our marketing, she oversees marketing. So... Oh, wow. You know, so for us, it's really a grassroots system here. At no point do I want to look for an executive person. You know, we're, we're still very much a family feel type of company. Um, our head of jewelry design, she started as a runner. I don't know if you know what a runner is. In the jewelry world, when Michael's uh, office was, was right off of 40, not on 47th Street, but on Fifth Avenue close by, 
you would need people to run jewelry between the, 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 the jewelry source, the diamond source, to your jeweler. She was a runner. She's been with us for 12 years. Oh, She's now wow. our head of jewelry design. Um, our head of timepieces, Yoni Ben Yehuda, he started, he came to us as a client and was like, I love what you guys are doing. Could I help with marketing? And he started coming in and helping us with marketing. Now, because of that, he's now our head of watch sales. He oversees all of our watches uh, for material goods. So, you know, how we find people, I, I think we've been blessed in the sense that because we offer something so unique in our field, and Michael and I have always come from a place of fun and and kind of reinvention that we get in, we get introduced to people our clients all the time saying hey my my niece my nephew i know i know someone who works in my company wants to get out of my company he loves watches would you meet with him and we get people coming to us all the time and as we grow we we never have a a a deficit of of amazing resumes to choose from and i think it's just because we work in a really interesting business that's you know intriguing don't get me wrong it's a grind even though it looks beautiful and sparkly and shiny, it's still it's still a lot of work. But but it's amazing to us the the level of of talent we've been able to draw, capture, and grow. And I have to say now, I'm getting my greatest education from our staff versus the other way around. We're gonna take a quick break. Stay with us. We're talking a lot about stores, um, and obviously we had a pandemic where people weren't shopping in stores. Did you always have an e-commerce site? And what are you? I'm sure I'm hearing from everyone like that the attitude has changed, of course, in terms of what you can buy online and you can buy something for six figures. Some people like a snap. <laughs> anyway, um, what are you? What's your experience? So you know, uh, we always knew once the brand started to take off that we probably. The tricky thing is, is material good, if you come to see us, if you come to Soho, I know if you walk in our doors, we will work together at, at, at some point. But not everyone can get to Soho. And not everyone has the ability just to come here. So brick and mortar, when we're not in a, a, you know, a multitude of cities yet, um, that you need to, you know, we need to give the material good experience externally. And, and the easiest way to do that is from a phone, from a laptop. So we knew we had to kind of get ourselves out there. And I have to tell you, it's been one of the trickiest, um, most steep learning curve things we could have done because, you know, we, we launched the site, Teresa also, who I mentioned, her and her team, her e-commerce team have done an amazing job. We've rebranded and rebuilt how we portray ourselves online, but it's vastly different than what you do inside a show, inside a room where you can really control the environment versus what you put out there and hope people can kind of take in. And, you know, pre-COVID, we had a really amazing rise. COVID, where people really couldn't leave their homes, really set everything on fire. And we had a meteoric growth. And, you know, since COVID has stopped and, you know, we, we've had about a year and a half of some trickiness around the world where I don't care what anybody says, the luxury goods world has corrected, um, as has many, many industries, that things have sort of, I don't want to say cooled, but definitely corrected. Um, and so what that causes us to do is continue to put money, time, and effort into how we continue to show who we are out there. Because there's there's no shortage of, if you Google things of luxury watches and jewelry, there's no shortage of it. So how do we differentiate ourselves to know that if you walk into any one of our spaces, we're different? How can we appear and show you that through a screen? And that is a very, very hard 
recipe to put together. And it's an ever, ever changing thing. And we're learning just like most people are, especially in this new sort of post-COVID new kind of where the economy is, is that you have to continue to reinvent whether you're massive like Netta Porter or you're, you're smaller like us, how you can reinvent and sell luxury. Because you bring up a great point. It never ceases to amaze me that someone can go on onto our site and spend $60,000 on a timepiece. Timepieces had to be touched and tried on. Jewelry, you used to have to sit and wear it. Where now I think COVID really changed people's ideology of I can buy it, I'm comfortable spending it. However, the one thing that I always hold dear is we're not just a website. You can come and see us in New York, look at the space, see that we have a lot more backing where we're not just, where you can feel more trustworthy of us because there's there's actual locations where we have insane jewelry. You can work with our staff. If you purchase something online and you want to come back and maybe work with us to see how you can maybe change it or, or, or we're here. We're actual living, breathing brick and mortar. So I think that kind of combination, especially in watches and jewelry, makes a big difference. Right on. People are wild in terms of what they'll buy online. I mean, different different level of risk there, but like, why why are people buying fragrance online? Isn't that funny? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's wild. But anyway, let's talk about resale or um, your pre-owned assortment. Because first of all, where are you sourcing from? We're hearing the competition for sellers. And also, what are, what are you stating or promising in terms of authentication? What do people want to know? What's the criteria there? Sure. So, so basically, you know, when, when Michael and myself were given the opportunity to become joint, ventures part, joint venture partners with Audemars Piguet and Richard Mille and different boutiques, we knew we had to spend much more time inside material good on pre-owned because that would really be where the watch side would be for us inside material good. And because of our years and years of experience, what I'll say is this, always trust your source. That's for us just as much as it is for an end client. Because if you know you have a trusting source, even if there is an issue, you can go back and and things can be corrected. So where do we source? It's as simple as things like auctions. It's as simple as Things like clients come to us all the time with their products. We take trade-ins every single day, whether it's online, whether it's done here in the store. We are always taking product from clients because they want to buy a new product or they want to trade or they want to get just sometimes just straight cash. Um, and, and we're always buying from clients. Now, when we don't know the people, we have an entire team. We check everything. We know how to make sure things are authenticated. We are sending product back to the brands every day to make sure that things are, are, are really checked and, and, and you know, authentic. However, we also have suppliers we work with all over the world. After 20 years, and it, it pains me to say 20 years of working in this business because I'm, <laughs> I'm aging myself now, that after 20 years, 20 plus years, Michael and I have suppliers that really specialize in this. While we know the vintage world really well, there's always someone who knows it better than you. And those people are masters of their world and they're all over the world. And they know that we have the ability to buy at any moment. And what I said is people always ask, well, the watch world has corrected itself. There's a lot of corrections going on and secondary values are going down. Not in the special stuff. Special things are still just not even, I would say even more now than they were before, still really coveted and sought out and desired. And, you know, for us, we are always looking for 
the most rare, the most special. When you come into our show, any one of our showrooms, um, what you'll see is the most coveted, rare, special timepieces from brands that we really believe in, which are Audemars Piguet, Richard Mille, Rolex, and Paddock. Uh, and we really specialize on those because we stand behind those brands. We know that there's value in those brands. And with cases like Audemars Piguet and Richard Mille, we're partners. What can you tell me about the breakdown of the business? Is it about half seas between jewelry and watches? You know, when we first started, watches were um, larger. And now because of the amazing work our, our jewelry teams have done, we carry a whole range of of um, branded other brands, um, the most sought out around uh, around the world. But we now have really put a huge focus on our own material good jewelry. And with our own designs and Teresa and her teams creating such amazing things from what we call effortless goods, which are, you know, your more entry-level price points all the way up to some of the most expensive custom jewelry, pieces of jewelry, that we we are now, like you said, Habsies. We're, we're pretty much now 50-50 and I couldn't be happier. That was something that we wanted to achieve because, you know, we want to be as accommodating to the jewelry client as we are to the watch client. And it's very easy for jewelry stores or watch stores to fall into one predominantly more than the other. And that's always been something that we want to keep a good, strong balance on. Yeah. And it differentiates your revenue streams. Like you're, you're safeguarding yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if the one goes bust? No, it won't go bust. <laughs> Tell me about your jewelry business. And, um, I mentioned this at the very beginning, lab-grown diamonds. What's your take on that? Are you doing a little bit of both? So, no, we we never do anything with with lab-grown diamonds. Um, I, I'll take a I take a pretty forward approach with that. Now, don't get me wrong. Is it a, a very big topic of conversation in the jewelry world? Sure. How could it not be? What I will always say to it is, our clients, whether you're the one percent. Or what I believe your aspirational client. I can't speak for the future and I can't speak for everybody, but I almost look at it like the Louis Vuitton bag you see on the street versus the Louis Vuitton bag you buy in the store. Our clients still want to know that they are wearing, feeling, holding the real thing. Now, people can argue all day long, well, Labyrinth Diamonds does the same, but anyone can argue that it's an easy out for them. But the reason why true diamonds and diamond jewelry, real natural diamonds are of such high value. Lab-grown diamonds are cheap because they can easily be made. The real thing will always carry that more special, that more special uniqueness to our clients. I can't tell you, I could not name one client. We have thousands that would ever be buying lab-grown diamonds. I can't speak for the future, but what I can tell you now is I thought about this and should we even consider and we always go back to the same thing. And, and we've talked to our clients about it. I, I've had open conversations. Clients have brought this up to me, you know, about this. And everyone says the same thing. How could I feel comfortable giving my significant other a piece of diamond jewelry, knowing that it was inherently much less expensive because it wasn't, quote unquote, the real thing, if that makes sense. And again, I'm speaking for myself. I can't speak for everybody, but that's how, that's how we feel here. Do you own the business? Who owns the business? What's been your approach to fundraising? So um, one, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm the happiest about, and it causes some of our biggest grief, you know, Michael Herman and I have been best friends for since we were, I was 21, he was 22. The only real fight we ever got in, ever, was outside the Soho House in New York City because we had gone broke again 
trying to build the business for the third or fourth time. We have, and I, I will say this with absolute pride, we have no backers, we have no investors. The business is 100% owned by Michael and I. And was it hard to do? Yes, when we first started Material Good, I cashed out every cent I had from all my work at Audemars Piguet. Mike had his own business that was successful. He put all his money into our idea. And it wasn't easy because we had to sign these leases and build out a pretty impressive showroom and be able to afford, you know, opening orders with two big watch brands that are very expensive to start with. And um, it wasn't easy at the very beginning. But like I said, our clients and our staff have really done such an amazing job to grow this business so organically that once we hit the ground running, we really haven't looked back. And one of the other things is, is, you know, as people say, well, you know, you could scale, you could go so much bigger. Why don't you want to take in more money? And I, I, I would be lying to say people haven't offered. We've had lots of offers. And the, the thing I always say is, is in our business, to understand watches and jewelry, you have to live it. All of a sudden, someone gives you money to grow and they want to understand, well, why, why don't you just ask for more of this one watch? Why can't you get more of this? All of a sudden, they want to only sell certain specific models. And all of a sudden, we're now beholden to other people's ideals where Mike and I know this, know this business, our people, our, our leaders that work with us know our business. And it takes a lot of time to understand it. I never want to be beholden to someone else just analyzing a spreadsheet. Uh, so for us, at this point, we've always seen growth to be something that we feel happens and should happen organically. Miami happened. I, I gave a really interesting uh, toast the other night to a group of, of, uh, of very important Miami clients of ours. And I, I didn't say we, we built this for you. We built this because of you. We went to Miami because so many of our clients moved to Miami through COVID. My business partner, Michael, moved to Miami through COVID. So for us, it was just a natural evolution. Um, the same thing as, as what we're doing next afterwards, which will be Dallas. You know, there's a lot for us because of the organic nature and we never want to rush things solely based on someone else's idea. As we see more stores opening, which you hinted is more and more to come, a lot more we'll talk. Um, but that means the business is growing and you're just, it's like slow growth. When you get there, you'll open a new one when you can. Exactly. Like what's the goal for stores? So again, you know, it has to feel like there's a reason behind it. Yeah. Miami was, you know, as I just mentioned, self-explanatory. We have an amazing boutique with Audemars Piguet in Dallas and we have such an incredible clientele uh, all around Texas and, and primarily Dallas that, our clients have been asking us, our Dallas clients, our Southern clients, why will you not open here? So eventually you got to give the people what they want. So, you know, it, it's really has, has to be something, not just because people are going there, but because we have a reason to be there. So that's sort of how our growth is. And everything we've done with Material Good has, has been really with our anchor and our partner brands and with the desire of our really amazing devoted clientele. What else can we expect in 2024? Oh, I can't give you all the secrets. Um, no, what, what you should expect is some really amazing new ad campaigns that we're working on um, for digital. Uh, you know, all of our photo shoots, everything you see, all of our content, we make ourselves. And I, and, and I think that's something that people should know. When you go online to materialgood.com, when you, when you come and see anything on our Instagram, that's all us. Nothing is done outside of. We create that ourselves. We do insane photo shoots. So some really great marketing, some really great new ideas, some amazing new jewelry that we're going to be creating. Um, of course, our two locations, um, 
uh, Miami obviously just opened and it's spectacular. On, you know, south of Fifth, uh, right on Washington, um, it's got killer panoramic views of the ocean, beautiful balcony, and it just feels how you would expect Miami material good to feel. Where, where New York really is as New York as it can get, we wanted to make sure Miami <laughs> kind of evoked that, that sun and fun sort of lightness. Um, so yeah, so just expansions here uh, and with our stores, uh, crazy killer new jewelry, and some really interesting new fun marketing ideas from us. Yes, when you're marketing, this is all happening like ah, Google search, Instagram, like where is the digital, it's all digital or what, what's the marketing mix? It's pretty much all, all digital. It's, it's, it's yeah. through our Instagram, uh, through uh, our website, and everything is really about getting people to want to, the goal is to get them into a space. We love meeting people and actually spending time with them. And, and that usually starts with someone finding us on Instagram, someone finding us through a search on Google. Um, so for us, it's, it's primarily the digital uh, effect. I have never felt, you know, in this new world that traditional forms of advertising, the most traditional is word of mouth. So we're already doing that part. So then the rest is really more about the uh, the digital side. Yes. Last question, question. How large is the business when you're mentioning the creative team in terms of uh, people count? People count, um, I think right now between um, some of our people that are helping us sort of start the ball rolling in Dallas, Miami, and New York. I think we're about, I think we're in the 60 to 70 range just for nice. material good. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then wrist check. What are, what are we wearing today? Great question. Wow. I'm, I'm glad you, you didn't write that down in your notes. So I, I got <laughs> lucky here because, you know, they would be very upset if I was wearing something else. So what I'm wearing is an Audemars Piguet Royal Oak 41 millimeter steel skeleton. Um, and I'll give you a quick sidebar story. So with this watch, um, when we opened our first Audemars Piguet boutique in East Hampton, New York, um, it was the first watch I bought for myself. And this was six years ago. And I paid full, re as the owner of the store, partner owner of the store, I paid full retail for the watch. And at that time, people were like, you paid full retail? And I, I, it was like a, a trophy to say, and now paying full retail, there's, there's, no other, there's no other conversation. With these high-end brands, it's access. Access is the discount. But you know, way back oh in the day, gosh. it was a very different type of business. So this is sort of a, um, a milestone marking point, a benchmark point for us with, with Audemars Piguet. Uh, and, and honestly, in our experience in the watch world all around, because what happened through COVID and where we are now, it's been uh, a really amazing growth, but transformation for, for the watch world. Ah, I love ending it on that note. Right on. Thank you for being here, Rob. This is so fun. Jill, so, so much fun. Thank you for making it painless. I really appreciate that. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.